Chapter 22 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At a loss for everything. At 11 a.m., Lady Dubarry arrived at her house in Valois Street, determined to make Paris her starting point for her march to Versailles. Lady Béarn was there, kept close when not under her eye, with the utmost art of the doctors trying to alleviate the pain of her burn. From overnight, Jean and Chon and the waiting woman had been at work, and none who knew not the power of gold would have believed in the wonders they wrought in short time. The hairdresser was engaged to come at six o'clock. The dress was a marvel on which twenty-six seamstresses were sewing the pearls, ribbons, and trimmings, so that it would be done in time instead of taking a week as usual. At the same hour as the hairdresser, it would be on hand. As for the coach, the varnish was drying on it in a shed built to heat the air. The mob flocked to see it, a carriage superior to any the Dauphiness had, with the Dubarry war cry emblazoned on the panels, Charge! Onward! Palliated by doves billing and cooing on one side, and a heart transfixed with a dart on the other, the whole was enriched with the attributes of Cupid bows, quivers, and the hymenaeal torch. This coach was to be at the door at nine. While the preparations were proceeding at the favorites, the news ran around the town. Idle and indifferent as the Parisians pretend to be, they are fonder of novelty than any other people. Lady Dubarry, in her regal coach, paraded before the populace like an actress on the stage. One is interested in those whose persons are known. Everybody knew the beauty, as she was eager to show herself in the playhouse, on the promenade, and in the stores, like all pretty, rich, and young belles. Besides, she was known by her portraits, freaks, and the funny Negro boy Zamor. People crowded the Palais Royal not to see Rousseau play chess, worse luck to the philosophers but to admire the lovely fairy in her fine dresses and gilded coach which were so talked about jean duberry's saying that the duberry's cost the country a nice sum was deep and it was only fair that france who paid the bill should see the show jean knew that the french liked to be dazzled she was more one of the nation than the queen a polander and as she was kindly she tried to get her money's worth in the display instead of lying down for a rest as her brother suggested she took a bath of milk for her complexion and was ready by six for the hairdresser a headdress for a lady to go to the court in was a building which took time in those days the operator had to be not only a man of art but of patience alone among the craftsmen hairdressers were allowed to wear the sword-like gentleman at six o'clock, the court hairdresser, the great Lubin, had not arrived, nor at a quarter past seven. The only hope was that, like all great men, Lubin was not going to be held cheap by coming punctually. But a running footman was sent to learn about him and returned with the news that Lubin had left his house and would probably arrive shortly. "'There has been a block of vehicles on the way,' explained the Viscount. "'Plenty of time.' said the countess. I will try on my dress while awaiting him. John, fetch my dress. Your ladyship's sister went off ten minutes ago to get it, said Doris. Hark to the wheels, 
interrupted Jean. It is our coach. No, it was Chan, with the news that the dressmaker with two of her assistants was just starting with the dress to try it on and finish fitting it. But she was a little anxious. Viscount, said the countess, won't you send for the coach? You are right, Jean. Take the new horses to Francia and the coach builders, he ordered at the door, and bring the new coach with them harnessed to it. As the sound of the departing horses was still heard, Zamor trotted in with a letter. Bakrakaman, give Zamor letter. What gentleman? On horseback, at the door. Read it, dear, instead of questioning. I hope it is nothing untoward. Really, Viscount, you are very silly to be so frightened, said the Countess, but on opening the letter she screamed and fell half dead on the lounge. No hairdresser, no dress, no coach, she panted while Chan rushed to her and Jean picked up the letter. Thus it ran in a feminine handwriting. Be on your guard. You will have no hairdresser, dress, or coach this evening. I hope you will get this in time. As I do not seek your gratitude, I do not name myself. If you know of a sincere friend, take that as me. This is the last straw, cried Jean in his rage. By the blue moon, I must kill somebody. No hairdresser, I will scalp this Lupin. For it is half-past seven, and he has not turned up. Malediction! He was not going to court, so he did not hesitate to tear at his hair. Trouble is the dress, groaned Chan. Hairdressers can be found anywhere. The countess said nothing, but she heaved a sigh which would have melted the Choiseul party had they heard it. Then, Come, come, said Chan. Let us be calm. Let us hunt up another hairdresser and see about that dress not coming. Then there is the coach, said Jean. It ought to have been here by this. It is a plot. Will you not make Sartina arrest the guilty ones? Malpieux sentence them to death, and the whole gang be burned with their fellows on execution plus. I want to rack the hairdresser, break the dressmaker on the wheel, and flay the coach builder alive. The countess had come to her senses, but only to see the dreadful dilemma the better. At the height of this scene of tribulation, echoing from the boudoir to the street door, while the footmen were blundering over each other in confusion at a score of different orders, a young blade, in an apple-green silk coat and vest, lilac breeches and white silk stockings, skipped out of a cab, crossed the deserted sill in the courtyard, bounded up the stairs and rapped on the dressing-room door. Jean was wrestling with a chin-stand, with which his coat-tail was entangled, while steadying a huge Japanese idol which he had struck too hard with his fist, when the three knocks, wary, modest, and delicate, came at the panel. Jean opened it with a fist which would have beaten in the gates of Gaza, but the stranger eluded the shock by a leap, and falling on his feet in the third position of dancing, he said, "'My lord!' I come to offer my service as hairdresser to the Countess du Barry, who, I hear, is commanded to present herself at court. A hairdresser? cried the du Barrys, ready to hug him and dragging him into the room. 
Did Lupin send you? You are an angel. Nobody sent me, returned the young man. I read in the newspapers that your ladyship was going to court this evening, and I thought I might have a chance of showing that I have a new idea for a court headdress. What might be your name, Junker? demanded Jean distrustfully. Leonard, unknown at present, but if the lady will only try me, it will be celebrated tomorrow. Only I must see her dress, that I may create the headdress in harmony. Oh, my dress, my poor, poor dress, moaned the countess, recalled to reality by the illusion. What is the use of having one's hair done up when one has no robe? And she fell back on the lounge. At this instant, the doorbell rang. It was a dress box which the janitor took from a porter in the street, which the butler took from him, and which Jean tore out of his hands. He took off the lid, plunged his hand into the depths, and yelled with glee. It enclosed a court dress of china satin, with flowers applique and the lace trimming of incredible value. A dress! gasped Jeanne, almost fainting with joy as she had with grief. But how can it suit me? Who was not measured for it? Chan tried it with a tape measure. It is the right in length and width of the waist, said Chan. This is fabulous. The material is wonderful the whole is terrifying said the countess nonsense this only proves that if you have bitter enemies you have some sweet friends it cannot be a mere human friend jean said john for how would such know the mischief set against us it must be a sylph Oh, I don't care if it's the old Harry, if he will help me against the Grimonts. He is not so black as those wretches, said the Countess. Now, I think of it. I wager you may entrust your hair to this hairdresser, for he must be sent by the same friend who furnishes the dress, suggested Jean. Own up that your story was pure, Gamal. Not at all protested the young man, showing the newspaper. I kept it to make the curls for the hair. It is no use, for I have no carriage. Hark! Here it is, rolling up to our door, exclaimed Chan. Quick! shouted Jean. Do not let them get away without our knowing to whom we owe all these kindnesses. And he rushed with janitor, steward, and footman out on the street, it was too late. Before the door stood two magnificent bay horses with a gilded coach lined with white satin. Not a trace of driver or footman. A man in the street had run up to get the job of holding the horses, and those who brought them had left him in charge. A hasty hand had blotted out the coat of arms on the panels and painted a rose. All this counteraction to the misadventures had taken place in an hour. Jean had the horses brought into the yard, locking the gates and pocketing the key. Then he returned to the room where the hairdresser was about to give the lady the first proofs of his skill. "'Miracle!' said John. "'The robe fits perfectly, except an inch out in front too long, but 
We can take it up in a minute. Will the coach pass muster? inquired the countess. It is in the finest taste. I got into it to try the springs, answered Jean. It is lined with white satin and scented with a tar of roses. Then everything is going on swimmingly, said the countess, clapping her hands. Go on, Master Leonard. If you succeed, your fortune is made. With the first stroke of the comb, Leonard showed that he was an experienced hand. In three-quarters of an hour, Lady Dubarry came forth from his hands more seductive than Aphrodite, for she had more clothes on her, and she was quite as handsome. "'You shall be my own hairdresser,' said the lady, eyeing herself in a hand-glass. "'And every time you do my hair up for the courtication, you shall have fifty gold pieces. John, count out a hundred to the artist, for I want him to consider fifty as a retaining fee.' but you must work for none but me. Then take your money back, my lady. I want to be free. Liberty is the primary boon of mankind. God bless us. It is a philosophic hairdresser, groaned Jean, lifting his hands. What are we coming to? Well, Master Leonard, take the hundred and do as you deuced well please. Come to your coach, Countess. These words were addressed to the Countess Bayan, who limped out of the inner room. Four of you footmen take the lady between you, ordered Jean, and carry her gently down the stairs. If she utters a single groan, I will have you flogged. Leonard disappeared during this delicate task. Where can he have slipped away? The young Countess wanted to know. Where? By some rat-hole. Or bang through the wall, said the viscount, as the spirits cut away. Have a care, my dear, lest your headdress becomes a wasp-nest, your dress a cowboy, and your carriage a pumpkin drawn by a pair of mice on arriving at Versailles. Enunciating this dreadful threat, Viscount Jean got into the carriage in which was already placed Countess Bayern and the happy woman to whom she was to stand sponsor. End of chapter 22. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.